Praise God, you guys. Yes, please pray for my, thanks, Chad, uh, my, one of my grandchildren, not on Chad's side, but, uh, and, and Holly's, but uh, Heather's got a couple kids and her youngest one, little grantee's got RSV, so it's going around right now. So uh, sometimes it can be really serious, and he was admitted to the hospital. They were visiting us yesterday, and we were having a great day together, and he just got sicker and sicker, and, you know, and Heather was wondering, you know, and Adam and us, whether we should bring him in, because he was so lethargic, but he's been sick for a long time. So they brought him in, and they called him up. They called the hospital. They said, yeah, you need to bring him in. And then they saw him and looked at him. They said, yeah, he's got RSV. They admitted him. But I saw a little guy today on the phone, and he's like, he's kicking, and he's doing better, you know. So praise God for that. Uh, but I know there's a lot of people out right now sick. And RSV is going around. Have you heard that? So that can be really serious for kids. It's a respiratory in, in, uh, infection that can be really serious. So, so just watch out for that if you have really little ones and they just seem like they're sick. Well, they could be really sick. So they had to put them on oxygen and stuff. So thank you for your prayers, but keep everybody in prayer. Amen. And uh, all the little ones, you know. All right. Praise God. He is good. Amen. And again, uh, thank you, Doug and, and Gerald, for the worship. That was beautiful. Uh, all right. We've got part two of a message I did a couple weeks ago. Of course, I had a message in between because we did a message on Thanksgiving. I did another message on Thanksgiving Wednesday night. You might want to check out. Um, that will hopefully encourage you. Uh, the reason or, you know, how to have an attitude for gratitude. But this message is picking up, I've done probably, I don't know, six or seven messages counting this one on Israel, maybe five or six on Israel since this whole thing's gone down. And the, the irony is that we are supposed to be in Israel right now, you know, uh, doing a expose uh, prophecy video and how prophecy is being fulfilled. And what do you know? Prophecy is being even more fulfilled right before our very eyes. Amen. And uh, so uh, crazy thing is the Lord had other plans and we'll get there later, hopefully this year, or I should say next year, my wife's like, right, this year, you know, uh, but we want to take a look at part two and I wish I could go through everything I said in part one to catch you up if you missed it, but if you missed it, it's okay. Uh, you'll be able to catch up to a degree and I won't be able to get into the stuff I want to get into if I get into all of that. But you guys, I've had messages uh, a, lot, a lot of messages and just, you know, that, that should be eye-opening. How Israel is a prophetic time clock. That Israel, that it, Jesus dealt with the fig tree, remember? When the fig wasn't built, and boom, he had cursed it. And he said that was a picture that he would be rejected. That Israel would cease to be a nation for a time. Then he revealed that Israel would become a nation again. He said first every stone of the temple would be cast down. The Romans would, you know, just destroy uh, them, and they'd be dispersed throughout the nations. They ended up going into 70 different nations. And he revealed that they'd become a nation again. When the fig tree, which symbolized Israel, is blossomed. He even talked about the temple. Revealed that the temple would be rebuilt because the future Antichrist would sit in a rebuilt temple after he just said it would be destroyed. Uh, and there's all kinds of prophecies that Israel would come back in the land again. And of course... Uh, and I mentioned to you, they're part of God's prophetic time clock. Because when you see the fig tree begin to bud, you know that the time's getting close. And just two chapters before that is when he dealt with Israel as a fig tree, which has long been a national symbol of Israel. Very fascinating. And I proved that to you with Hosea and other passages that it's, it's it, the symbol of Israel. Well, then we talked about a lot of things, about a lot of scriptures that talked about, like in Isaiah 66.10, that, you know, has anybody ever seen such a thing that a nation would be born in a single day, amen? And, and boom, that was long before it happened, and then it happened May 14th, uh, 1948, amen. And uh, they became a nation again. But the prophecies go beyond that. Uh, they become a world power in a short time, which took place. They're one of the biggest world powers on the planet right now. Then that they'd be surrounded by the nations around them that would seek to destroy them, and eventually all the world would come against Israel. And it's really a blow mind when you think about it. And one of the messages I gave uh, a few weeks, a couple of Wednesdays ago, I wish it was a Sunday message. Can't make all messages Sunday messages. That's why you come Sunday too. But it was Hamas and the days of Noah. And do you remember that? And how Hamas is a word that means zealous, means valor to the Muslims. It's an Arabic word, Hamas. But it's also a Semitic word. It's a Semitic word because the Arabs are cousins. It's a sister religion, or I should say, I'm sorry, sister people to the Jews. Because a lot of Arabs come from Ishmael and Esau and so forth. Children of Abraham. 
right? Descendants of Abraham, I should say. And uh, Hamas is also a Jewish or Hebrew word. And isn't it interesting that that word is used about 60 times in the Old Testament? And it has a totally different meaning than valor or zeal. It means violence. And it's always used in a negative way. It's always used in a very destructive way. And what's very interesting, on the Shabbat, the Sabbath day, after Israel had been invaded by Hamas, who rules Palestine, when people are saying, free Palestine, you know, and go Palestine, who runs Palestine? Hamas, a terrorist organization that beheaded 40 babies. Beheading one baby would be wicked enough, but they systematically beheaded 40 babies. They raped women. They raped men. This is not a God-fearing people. A lot of them were hyped up on, you know, drugs and so forth. Up five, six days period, just zoned in on just murdering people. And uh, Hamas rules Palestine. If you're going to free Palestine, I should say they, they rule Gaza, where a lot of the, you know, quote-unquote Palestinians live. And you want to free Palestine, you need to free them from Hamas. And I don't have time to get all the details. I've gotten many of the details in regarding how the infrastructure has been utterly destroyed. Uh, the, the, who is it? Uh, right now, you think that Israel started this war, right? If you look, look at some of the news, you look at some of the protests. Is that what happened? No, man. And they need to bring an end to Hamas in their minds because otherwise this will continue over and over again. And it's really interesting when you look at the big picture, though, because Hamas in the Hebrew Bible, the very next Shabbat, right after that invasion, when Israel's on their heels, reeling, agony and pain, losing you know, 1,400 people overnight, many others taken hostage, and thank the Lord, many of our prayers are being answered, and many of the hostages are being set free, you know? And uh, the Lord is good, and praise the Lord. I'm sorry. I, I, good to see Mary from Boston. We had a good fellowship. She flew in all the way from Boston to fellowship with us, so got to give her some, you know, some praise the Lord for her. Amen. That's a long flight. Your, your, your arm's got to be tired. Oh, okay, just a little. Okay. We also have uh, uh, Kukui, which means bringer of light. And he's all the way from Canada border. Why don't you wave your hands? Oh, wait, there you go, bro. Praise the Lord. He came to visit us as well. Praise the Lord. And love you, Kukui. And Mary, you guys are awesome. We got to spend Thanksgiving together. She came over our house and got to spend some time also with Kukui uh, the next day, which was great. Um, Lord is good. But you guys, there's heavy things going on right now. And crazy things. This is prophetic. In fact, uh, Hamas, I was saying on the Shabbat, right after the invasion, guess what the Jews were reading? Most of the Jews are reading the Hebrew. On their Shabbat, they have a, a daily a, 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 a Shabbat Torah portion where they read part of the Torah. You know what they're reading? You know what they're reading was that day? For the Jews across Israel? Genesis chapter 6. And they're reading about the flood and God flooding the earth because of the evil. And then he says in verse 9 of chapter 6, and in verse 7, the name of my message is Hamas in the days of Noah a couple of Wednesdays ago. So they're reading verse 9 and they're reading in verse 11 that violence will fill, was, had filled the earth. You know what the Hebrew word for violence is that they're reading? Hamas has filled the earth with violence. It's a word for violence. In Ezekiel 28, when it talks about Satan's rebellion against God, he was created perfect in his ways. It says, until Hamas was found in his heart. Violence. Isn't that crazy? So it's very interesting. And I think there's some very interesting things going on here because the word is looked at totally different from Muslim Arabs and Jews. And it's so interesting because there's two different images given of the empires that would rule Israel through the years and that final empire under Antichrist. And the image that's given to Nebuchadnezzar, who's the f leader of what is now, you know, uh, modern-day Iraq, which has oppressed Israel through the years, is a metallic, beautiful image. It looks great. But God's, because he's showing Nebuchadnezzar how he views it. But when you look at God's view of that same, those same empires, that same final empire, it's wild beasts, man, that tear their prey apart. And that's the vision he gives Daniel of the same same situation, same empires, and the same final empire. And I think, I thought, when I studied this, I thought, because I was all focused in on that. And when I was looking at Hamas, I go, isn't that interesting 
how the Lord looks at, and I've always pointed that out, for years I should say I pointed out, how he looks at, how he gives Daniel a different vision of the same thing, but it's wild beast. He gives Nebuchadnezzar this beautiful metallic because of how he would look at it, but still they both come to an end. And then I, so that was superimposed in my brain. So I was studying the word Hamas, I was like, whoa, how they both look at the word Hamas differently. And how the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, amen, and translates Hamas as violence. Yet for Muslims, when a little kid is blown up, one of their kids that they sacrificed by just blowing up to kill a bunch of people, that's a beautiful thing. The kid, you know, then they'll send gifts to each other and so forth. It's just all backwards, and it's heartbreaking. And at the same time, as Christians, we have to remember, Jesus died for everybody, amen? amen. So you pray for Jews to be saved, amen? You pray for Muslims to be saved and come to Jesus. You pray for everybody to be saved. We love everybody. And even the Jews, we have to have a biblical perspective. Some, there's a lot of people that, are in, that claim to be Christians who are anti-Israel and anti-Jewish. That's wicked, man. You can't be anti-Jewish and against the Jews and call yourself a Christian because God has a plan for the descendants of Abraham, amen? Just read Romans chapter 11. He says he's not done with, it, with Israel, amen? He says they have become your enemies for the gospel's sake, meaning they're against the gospel because there's blinders, 2 Corinthians 3, over their eyes. Just like the children of Jacob, the 12 sons, all those sons except Joseph were blind toward who Joseph really was, amen? He's a picture of Jesus Messiah, and they rejected him. That was all a picture of Jesus being rejected. Yet it says not only, not only the enemies because the gospel, yeah, they don't understand the gospel. And there can be hostility sometimes. I mean, I had a rock picked up with a bunch of Hasidic Jews chasing me to stone me to death, okay? And the irony, I've told that story, so I won't tell the long story, but I, to get out of it, the brother I was with, who's a Jewish believer, we went into the Muslim territory, and then they stopped because they didn't want to go in the Muslim territory. But you know what? I didn't forget. I didn't say, oh, I'm against Jews. No, I understand. The whole New Testament was written by Jews, except maybe the Acts and Luke, right? Which was written by Luke. Amen? The whole early church was Jewish. The first church council in Acts chapter 15 was about whether Gentiles, non-Jews, could become Christians. Salvation, Jesus says, is of the Jews. Amen? Amen? Read John chapter 4. Yet at the same time, I remember that in Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 11 also says, after it says, a little bit after it says, you know, right after it says, they become our enemies for the gospel's sake, it says, they're beloved for the sake of God's promises to Abraham. Right? Remember the promise to Isaac and Jacob. He has not forgotten his people. Amen? He made promises to Abraham, and he, God knows in his foreknowledge and because of his divine plan, right, many Jews will come to the Messiah in the end. And then he goes on to say, all Israel will be saved in the end. There'll be this huge remnant of Jews that will come to Christ in the end. That's a biblical perspective. Yet you have professing Christians marching with Muslims who want the eradication of Israel. That's wicked, folks. And it's spreading. It's like the BLM movement on steroids right now in certain areas. It's just... And we've been talking about this for a long time, haven't we? That this was coming. Now, did I think that, hey, we're going to have all these marches in the streets to do away with Israel at this time in our history? No. <laughs> I didn't see that this, at this magnitude you have so many young people being brainwashed to destroy Israel. And in support of Hamas who are beheading babies. Then I thought about it. Well, a lot of people are okay with killing babies in the womb, abortion. So it makes sense that they'd be okay with butchering babies that were already born at a certain point because they're both living babies. Okay? It's not too hard to extrapolate because both are our lives and both are justified. And people justify these things because, well, it's sin. Listen to what Psalm 83 says about how the nations, the Muslim nations, these nations that I read, there's 10 nations here that make a confederation against Israel. And all these people groups I mentioned right now, all these territories are now Muslim. It says in Psalm 83 verse 1, O God, do not remain silent. Do not be silent. It's a prayer uh, of Israel. And O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people. And conspire together against your treasured ones. Ooh, they what? Conspire together against your treasured ones. Well, I don't, you know, we don't want to talk about conspiracies. The Bible says there are conspiracies. 
A conspiracy is just two or more people agreeing together to do something bad, nefarious, okay? It happens every day. There's thousands of conspiracies every day on a minor level, amen? What you don't want to do is sign on to things that are called conspiracies that float around the internet that don't have evidence, okay? Because then you're just going to sound foolish and, and you're going to be tuning things that are bearing false witness. You want to make sure you don't bear false witness. A lot of Christians just jump on any conspiracy and say, this is the way it is. I'm like, dude, be careful because you're bearing false witness if, if what you're saying is not true. That's why we want to be the folks with the footnotes. We want to document what we see and understand, and we make sure it's biblical. Amen? But here, it says, they make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. That's a lot. sounds a little bit like Psalm 2, right? When the nations will conspire together and say to throw off the bonds of the Lord against Yahweh, right? And, let us, and they want to become this new world order, you know? Verse 4. Listen to this, verse 4. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation. Sound familiar? Come, let, let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites. We're talking about a lot of, lot of what's Muslims, a lot of the... Uh, you know, the Edomites and so forth, a lot of what became you know, the Arab people, Gabal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them, and Assyria can comprise part of what's Iran today. They have become a help to the children of Lot. Wow, you guys. And now it's interesting because God's word said that Israel would be surrounded by hostile nations that would seek her destruction. And what's interesting is how can you make them so hostile, the nations around Israel, to want her destruction, to give them one mind? Well, the best way to do that would be to saddle them with a false religious concepts, a false God, a, a, a God that's anti-Yahweh, a God that is anti the one true God, posing as the one true God. Well, let's look at a map of Israel. Do you know Israel is about one-fifth the size of Kentucky? Kentucky's not a giant state. It's a decent-sized state, but it's one-fifth the size of Kentucky. You see uh, that little red dot in the middle of that green mass? That's Israel. You see all the green nations? They're Muslim nations. And you know, the, uh, the Hamas's charter calls for the destruction of Israel. I've read it to you. I'm not going to quote it again. I've quoted it two or three times through this whole series where they quote Muhammad from the Hadith basically saying, you know, the rocks, the trees will cry out, look behind me, there's a Jew, come, O Muslim, and, and kill him, you know. They read that in the <laughs> Muslim, uh, in a, throughout the mosque of the world, many of the mosques of the world. And look at, can you even see the little red dot from your seat? Can any of you see that? It's so small. And the, the nations around it are Muslim nations. There's far more Muslim nations than what you see there. There's at least about 50 some will say like 65 or so when you look at, uh, there's about 49 with a majority of Muslim. And, and no wonder the United Nations is so anti-Israel so often. Amen? Okay, that's good. Thank you. Uh, so you can keep that up there until we get the next slide if you want. But it's really interesting because when Israel became a nation on May 14, 1948, and uh, there's a lot of history, and I'm, I hesitate to get too much into too much history, but I, I, I like to teach you, you know, share history with you so we have these things in our minds. But it's important to understand some history here so you know what's going on. Is God had given Jerusalem to Israel, you know, you know 4,000 years ago to Abraham, amen? 3,500 years ago, the Jews marched into the promised land where people were having sex with animals. They were sac sacrificing their children in the fire. And the Lord says, I'm jettisoning them from my land. If you do the same thing, I'll jettison you from the land. He says not to get into those sexual perversions, not to get into the occult. In Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, he says, When thou art come to the land, thou shalt not practice the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes a son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or observer of time, which is an astrologer, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or consult with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For because of these things, these abominations, the Lord thy God is driving them out from this land. And if you practice these things, I'll drive you out from the land as well. But he's promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he said he'd bring them back after he disciplined them 
And they reckoned, and then they did bring them back into the land. And I showed you in Ezekiel chapter 36 that he says he'd bring them back in a state of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Amen. So some will say, well, this can't be Ezra's regathering. They haven't all turned to Jesus yet. Well, read, Psalm, read Ezekiel 36. We already went through the passage. Not just that verse either. They're brought back in unbelief, which is where they're at now. By the way, there's a hundred or so messianic congregations, Jewish congregations, where they believe in Jesus. Okay? So some of the, many of them have been turning to Jesus. But the nation as a whole, it will be later after that, he says, I'll pour my spirit upon you. So this is all part of the plan. But he said there'd be hostile nations against them. So guess what happened the very next day? You had an invasion of Israel from six Arabic nations. Okay? I could say five Arabic nations because Iraq was one of the six nations, which, you know, many of them aren't Arabs, really. But you had Iraq. Uh, what's Iraq doing there? Islam, you guys. You know? But you had Lebanon, and you had Syria, and you had Jordan, and you had Saudi Arabia, and you had Egypt all around them. In fact, we'll show you a map of that as well. Now, it's a close-up of Israel. And at the top, you see Lebanon, the flag of Lebanon. Uh, to the right at the top, on uh, the northern, uh, northern borders, you have uh, Syria there. And if you go down a little bit, you have Iraq invading with the, from that territory of Jordan. And you go back a little further, you have Jordan down a little further, right? If you go south to the very bottom, right, you have Saudi Arabia, the green flag there. And up above that, you have the Egyptian flag going through Gaza. They were surrounded right there the very next day after they declared their independence. After the United Nations said, okay, we're going to let you guys become a nation again. The Word of God says in Isaiah that God would use the nations to bring them back in the land. And he used the Gentiles to bring them back on their, on, their, on their backs. Ted Walker and I was there. I shared with you some, most of you have heard this story, where I'm on ships in Haifa Port, man, with all these Jews, hundreds of them on a ship coming back from the north where God said he'd bring them back. They, they speak Russian, most of them, you know? And, they don't, and, I'm, and we put the kids on our backs, and Ted shared that scripture with them. And I shared Isaiah 53 with them, that Jesus is your Messiah. I think I shared with you guys, Ted told me sometime later, which was actually just a couple years ago, that now he's working with some of the, those kids are growing up and they're working as Christians, the pro-life ministry, they became Christians, you know? And we shared the scripture with them, the word of God. Well, it's crazy, they're being surrounded there, by these nations that want to destroy them. But you know, uh, now some will say, well, they should have become a nation again. The United Nations was wrong and so forth. You know, the, well, what happened? There was like 33% Jews still in the land before Israel became a nation again. You had the Palestinian Orchestra before Israel became a nation again in 1948. The Palestinian Orchestra was all Jews, okay? A lot of Jews in Israel still. There's always been Jews in Israel, Okay? God gave them their land back. And now, it doesn't mean it's not complicated. There were definitely Arabs there, a lot of Arabs. There were more Arabs than Jews there at the time. But guess what? There's Muslim Arabs there to this day. In fact, many of the Muslim Arabs, do you know there's a ton of Muslims that are pro-Israel? Muslims are treated way better in Israel than they're treated in, uh, in Gaza. Okay? And a lot of, a lot of them are pro In fact. You, you, you see the nomads over there, you know, the, the Bedouins. These are the guys that, you know, have a lot of herds of animals and so forth. 12% of the Arab population is Bedouin. Most of the Bedouins are pro-Israel. They serve the army, the IDF, against Muslim nations. So when you think it's just Arab against Jew, no, it's more complicated than that. There's a bunch of Arab Christians in Israel that are, not, that are totally against what's going on with Hamas and uh, Gaza. There are many Muslims that aren't Bedouin. They're not Christians, but they're Muslim Arabs in Israel that side with Israel in this conflict. It's not as simple as people want to make it. Now, God gave them that territory 4,000 years ago. In fact, the territory God's given them is way bigger than what you see now, what Israel occupies right now. In fact, Jordan became a state around the same time as Israel did. There's ancient populations there, but they were granted statehood around the same time Israel was. They just weren't dispersed around the world like Israel was. Now, uh, my wife, like, um, she's going to be watching my live stream. Don't go too fast because I'm, I'm so sad I'm missing this message. I was so looking forward to part two. My wife's like, I have to stay home. And I go, I'll try to go slow. So I'm going to slow down a little bit. She goes, this is such a complicated thing. She meant when I talked specifically about the, uh, uh, the, the, the images, you know, the, 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 the metallic image that, 
the vision that God gives to Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. Now it's interesting, in the 1967 war, okay, now check this out. There was the 1948 war, right? And May 14, 1948, they become a nation. The very next day, they're invaded by all those nations and they whoop up on them. Israel is just a nation, <laughs> right? And they defeat them, their enemies. Well, in 1967, fast forward 19 years, um, you have another alliance of nations like Syria and same, some of the same nations, uh, Egypt, you know, uh, Jordan. They go in and they try to take Israel out again. It's the 1967 war, or what's also known as the Six-Day War. That's right. Six days, that's all it took, man. They came in, they got their, their clocks cleaned again, Israel uh, uh, took them out. And at that time, uh, something interesting happened is Israel expanded their borders because when Israel was brought back into the land under the United Nations, they were only given half of Jerusalem, okay? And what happened is when Jordan and Syria and Egypt attacked them, what happens when another nation attacks you and they're close by? you end up taking some of their territory where they're attacking you from typically, right? So they took Gaza, right, from Egypt. They took the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. Uh, they took uh, the West Bank, you know, area from Jordan. They took the Golan Heights from Syria, right? And if you look at the Golan, so look at the very top of, that, of our map here of Israel. Look to the right, you now the left where you see that tree in that one little, you know, little uh, flag, that's Lebanon. And Lebanon's very tiny right there by the Mediterranean Sea up above Israel in the north. But to the right, it's huge compared to Lebanon is Syria. And that's that red, white, and blue flag right there. Syrians came in. But right next to Syria right there is what's, you know, the Golan Heights, which was part of Syria at the time. If you're in the Sea of Galilee or at the Sea of Galilee hanging out, right, you look north, you'll see the Golan Heights. And I've spent a lot of time in the Sea of Galilee. And when Ted Walker and Linda are there, they talk about how the missiles will fly right toward them and right over their house and so forth. Because the Golan Heights is an incredibly strategic place because it's, it's higher up. It's a great strategic place militarily. So guess what Israel's doing? You're attacking us over and over again, right? We're taking the Golan Heights, which they took, which, by the way, was originally given to them, okay, by God. So now they have to manage the Golan Heights. They have to manage the West Bank. They have to manage the Gaza Strip, which is filled with people that want to destroy them as a nation. How do you make, a, how do you make peace with those who want to destroy you? Let's say you have a next-door neighbor, and you want peace with your neighbor, but their, their whole quest is to kill you and occupy your home. How do you make a peace treaty with them? Very, very difficult. That's what. And by the way, from one prime minister to the next of these hostile nations, and Israel. Israel tried to make peace treaties to where they even allowed those in Gaza to become their own country. But every time it's been rejected by the Muslims. And I'm not saying they should even do that. I don't believe you give away God's land, okay? Because I believe there's a bigger picture that's unfolding. And by the way, in the 67 war, that's when they, that six-day war, they got their rear ends kicked. Well, guess what happened? Fast forward to 1973, then you have the 1973 war. So you have 1948. In 1967, by the way, they took the rest of Jerusalem. You understand that, right? That's why you go there and Israel runs Jerusalem. But guess what? They didn't take over the Temple Mount because the Muslims have two of their Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Golden Dome on the, on the Temple Mount. And if they messed with that, they felt that all the Muslim nations would galvanize and unite against them. So that's why when you go on the Temple Mount, you'll see Muslims that are the police up there. But then you had a couple different nations. Syria and Egypt attacked them in 1973. Why? Because Syria wanted the Golan Heights back. Egypt wanted the Sinai Peninsula back. And they lost again. After just, I think, weeks, Israel won again. But guess what? There was a peace treaty made between Israel and Egypt, and they gave the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt. It's with Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin, and they made a deal uh, a few years after 1973. And Egypt's been somewhat friendly to them since that time. 
as has Jordan. But the other Muslim nations, and you, know, you, know, you never know who's going to turn politically, right? Uh, so, but it's interesting. Listen to this. On May, on May 26, 1967, during the buildup to the Six-Day War, listen to what uh, Gamal Abdul Nasser of Egypt said. He said, quote, The battle will be a general one, and our basic objective is to destroy Israel. Same month, same year. On 31st of May 1967, President Arif of Iraq, the president of Iraq, he said, quote, the existence of Israel is an error which must be uh, rectified. This is our opportunity to wipe out the, the ignominy uh, which has been with us since 1948. Our goal is clear, to wipe Israel off the map. And we've heard that from the Ayatollahs since and so forth. Okay. Make no bones about it, man. Keep in mind, there is a declaration from Muhammad that they have to be destroyed, the Jews. And when you have 50 or more nations that are Muslim, that's a horrific deal when they feel there's a religious mandate. Sometimes if you have a secular leader that wants your destruction, he might change his mind. But when you have a religious leader that wants your destruction, they don't usually change their mind because they're following Allah in their mind a Johnny-come-lately God that nobody worshipped until Muhammad, you know, said Allah is God and he has no son. In 600 and, you know, after, years after Jesus, by the way, there was no Quran. There was no Quran being written. The scriptures had been written, you know, from you know, 2,000 years before that. started with Moses writing Genesis and so forth 1,500 years before Christ. And then five, 600 years later, that's 2,000 years later, the Quran just comes out. Oh, and there's no history in the Quran except where? When it brings up history, guess what it brings up typically? God said to Moses, Jesus, they, they used the Bible, but they, they, they claim that everything, oh, well, really, we got the true interpretation of the Bible. Okay, look at some of my past messages on that. So now we, we catch up a bit and we... Uh, we look at the image. I'm not going to go through the text because last time, two times ago, last time I taught on this, I went through the scriptures on the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now you guys, listen up. Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream by God and he told his followers, his magi, his astrologers, his sorcerers and stuff that he forgot the dream because he wanted probably to make sure they weren't lying about what his dream was about. So he didn't want to tell them what it was. So tell them, they were like, well, we want to know the dream. And no, nope, nope, you don't know. They couldn't tell him anything. Guess what? God rose Daniel up. And keep in mind, Nebuchadnezzar, guys, listen carefully. You want to follow this so you can understand what's going on here with these images and how it pertains to the days that we live in and prophetic scripture. You can follow this. Now, if, if you zone out and you don't pay attention, right, and you wonder why you don't understand these things later, it's because you missed a great opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. I say this in love, Okay. Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of Babylon. Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the empire of the day, okay? The Babylonians had gone in under Nebuchadnezzar, you know, almost 500 years before Christ, and destroyed Jerusalem, took the people captive. God was disciplining his people, and the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, talked about this, Jeremiah and so forth, and they stole the temple implements and everything. They destroyed the temple, they brought Daniel and others back to Babylon. But his days were numbered. And God gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision, a dream of the future, including beginning with him as the head of gold. And if we could look at that image, it would be great. And we read the scriptures on this last time, so I'm not going to read all the scriptures on this particular image. But you guys remember, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, that the dream that you had about this image, because he had a dream about this image, the head of gold, he says, who, who's the head of gold? Who did Daniel tell this head of gold? You are the head of gold, which is Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's probably like, wow, that's awesome, you know? Well, wait a second, you know? And then he talks about the empire that will succeed that empire, which would be the Medo-Persian empire. Now, keep in mind, Babylon is now modern-day what? Modern-day Iraq. Keep in mind, Iraq was part of the Six-Day War. I'm sorry, it's part of the 19, not the Six-Day War, part of the 1948 War to destroy Israel when they became a nation again. Isn't that interesting? 
they're in play in this end time scenario as well. So he is the king of what's called modern day Iraq. Uh, can we have these lights down too? That would be great. Only because you probably see a little better. The house lights? No, if not, if not that's okay. But is that better? Okay, great. Thanks. Then, so the Medo-Persian Empire, they're trying to help with my notes, but I'm good because I don't barely look at my notes. But the Medo-Persian Empire is uh, the next empire that comes. The Persians and the Medes. The Persians are a huge empire. Do they remember the, the, the whole concept of the 300, like the movie 300? That was like the Greek empire that took over from the Persian empire, way smaller. But the Persian empire and the Medes, the Medes were smaller. So they were kind of like, you know, they were kind of awkward. The, the Persians were huge and the Medes were just their ally, but they were a lot smaller. And they took over the world, the known world at that time, I should say the civilized world in that area of the world. And they took it over and they, they took over Babylon. Well, guess what? That's Medo-Persian Empire. The Persians, by the day, are as modern-day what? Modern-day Iran. Iraq and Iran are in play right now. Okay? A bunch of our American outposts, American uh, forces have been, have been attacked in Iraq just recently, along with in Syria, along with in, you know, uh, you know parts of the middle, throughout the Middle East. Yemen and so forth has attacked our, our people. So you have uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. And that was Iran. They were the, the Persian Empire. Then what would come after that? What did he say was next? And by the way, what is important to understand about all these empires and why they're singled out is they were ruling over God's people. Iraq or Babylon took his people over and they go in succession. And Medo-Persia you know, then they're in Persia. And the Persians, you know, some of the Persians, remember Haman? Remember the book Esther? He's Persian, okay? He sought to destroy. He was an Amalekite, by the way, which is really interesting. Tried to destroy Israel right there. Uh, and then what came after? That's the head of gold. Then you have the silver. And then after silver, the chest of silver, you have the, the waste and so forth of bronze. And that's what empire? Grecian empire, often called the Syrian Grecian empire. And the reason it's called the Syrian-Grecian Empire is the Greeks kind of ruled the middle, a lot of the Middle East from Syria, like through Antioch's Epiphanes, who was a picture of the Antichrist, was from, ruled out of Syria. And remember, Antioch's Epiphanes, who's a type of the Antichrist, he smeared pig's blood and sprinkled it on the altar of, of Israel's temple, you know, and uh, was a blasphemer. Put an image up there as well of Zeus, the Greek god, with his head on it. And he had a coin minted that Antiochus Epiphanes, that he is God. It's a picture of the Antichrist. That's long before the prophecy of the New Testament about the coming Antichrist, by the way. So if you say, oh, he was the Antichrist. No, he's a type of the Antichrist. It's a picture of the Antichrist to come. So, then you, so you have the Babylonian Empire, the head of gold. Then you have the Medo-Persian Empire, right? The breast of, uh, of silver. Then you have the Syrian and Greco Empire, uh, the Grecian Empire, the, the waste of bronze. And then you have the two legs, that's two legs of iron. What came after the Grecian Empire? The Roman Empire. That's why your New Testament's written in Greek. The Romans were ruling at this point, and you read the New Testament, that's during the Roman Empire's rule, right? And, uh, well, they would, you know, crush Israel uh, uh, in 70 AD. Uh, they would, uh, you know, disperse them throughout the entire world. Uh, and then 135 came, and Bar Kopa, a false messiah, came up, and and he got a following among a lot of the Jews, and they got even more ticked off, and they deported even more of the Jews that were still left in the land. So Israel ceased to be a nation for some time. Now look at the final empire. is iron and what? Clay. Now the Roman Empire has two legs. Two legs. There was eastern part of the Roman Empire and a western part of the Roman Empire. The eastern part of the Roman Empire, uh, you know, uh, you know, was centered eventually in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, which is now uh, Turkey, and morphed into what was called the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Empire ruled the world in, in the Middle East for uh, 400 years and until 1917, during World War II, when Israel, uh, I'm sorry, when Britain basically ousted them from the land of Israel. 
a Muslim empire, by the way. That one leg. Then you have, you have the east and the west. Now you have the final two empires in that vision, iron and clay. And we read about that two weeks ago, so I'm not going to read it. But the, the, the two feet have how many toes? Ten. ten toes. And we're told that these ten toes are ten nations. These ten nations will rule with the Antichrist in the end of time. Now, we can we have the lights on. It would be great. Uh, thank you so much, man. So now we go to, we'll go to the next slide, because this is what happens to the, these empires in the end. See that rock going down? The rock is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Messiah. And in the next slide, you'll see that they're going to put up right now. Uh, you'll see that it will destroy. It'll destroy, the, it'll hit those feet. Meaning it will destroy that final empire, the Antichrist empire, the ten toes. But it says all those empires will be destroyed at that time as well. Why? I think it's interesting. Because these empires come together in the end. They just have their focal point in the ten toes. Now, take your Bible. So you don't have to. I think we have this up there. We can, now we're going to read Daniel, the vision God gives of the same empires in a briefer account. Uh, so he skips over a little bit, obviously. But from Daniel's vision, they're not a beautiful statue. They're wild beasts of prey. And let's go to the next uh, slide. And we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. So the first one looks like a lion. By the way, what was the first one in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Ahead of what? Head of gold. Do you know they found just decades ago that the symbol for ancient uh, Iraq, which is Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar was the lion insignia. Isn't that interesting? Yes. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked. Think of how Nebuchadnezzar himself's wings were plucked and he was like a wild animal for a while. It's another story. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a what? A bear. Now notice what it says. And it was raised up on one side, right? And three of its ribs, we don't have time to get into all the exegesis of this, and three of its ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and thus uh, they said to it, Arise, devour much meat, right? Uh, now it's interesting because it's, it's, it's lifted up on one side, so you've seen a bear like this, you know? Well, why would it be lifted up on one side? Because the second empire... After the head of gold is the silver, is the what empire? The silver was the Medo-Persian empire. The Persians were far, more, far bigger than who? The Medes, remember? So it would be like this. If you looked at the chest, you know, it was, it was a bear that was kind of lopsided and awkward, but it was big and lumbering and powerful, and it could do much harm, and it did much harm. Uh, that's those first two. Verse 6, After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So it's taken over from the leopard. Okay, What was the empire that succeeded the Persian, Medo-Persian Empire? The Grecian Empire. Remember Alexander the Great? Anybody ever you know, see any movies about Alexander the Great? One thing you know, who he's known for is having a war machine that was like a leopard. It was fleet of foot, man. And that's why they were astonished when they took over from Persia. Because they're quick, but they're no match for Persia as far as numbers went. But they destroyed Persia. They overcame per the Persian Empire. And that became what was known as the Greco, uh, Syrian Greco, uh, Greco Empire. And then we read in verse 7, After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, and extremely strong. Now he goes right into, from the two legs of iron, right through the iron and the, and the toe clay, the final manifestation of this last empire. And I think it's very important that we pay attention to this. Dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder uh, with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had what? Ten horns. This beast that crushes is the final empire. Okay. It's different from all the others. Notice it. What animal does it compare it to in this verse? Do you see an animal it compares it to? No. no that's for a reason. 
What does he say about it? It's just what? It's different. It's, it's different. It says it's different from all the beasts that were before it. It's a bit different. And it had what? Ten horns. Well, wait a minute. Ten horns, does that give you a clue regarding the other empires? How do the other empires end? With two what? Two feet that have ten what? Ten toes. Okay. The ten toes represent the ten nations that give their power to the beast, the Antichrist. Well, this has ten horns. Verse 8, while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, and the Antichrist is sometimes called the little horn in Daniel, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boast. Okay, so we've got these ten-headed beasts. We've got this ten-toed statue, both come to a climax either with the ten toes or the ten horns. And they come into play in the end of days. Now, guess what? If you go to the end of the book of Daniel, it, which we're not going to do, chapter 12, he says to seal up the vision and the testimony. For it's not to be known until the time of the end. So seal it up, Daniel. By the time of the end, it will be revealed. There'll be more insight, more light that'll be given on this subject. Then when the book of Revelation is written, you know what it says at the end of the book of Revelation? Don't seal up the words of this prophecy because it sheds light and expands and gives us understanding of that final empire. Now think about this. The head of gold represented who? Babylon. Babylon is modern day what? Iraq. That corresponds with the what beast? The, the lion, right? So the lion is Iraq, Right? Then you had next, after the lion, you had the bear, right? The bear was Medo-Persia. What's modern-day Persia? Iran. So you have Iraq and Iran by the, the lion and the bear. Ooh, and then you have that leopard. The leopard was the Syrian-Grecian empire, right? Isn't that interesting? What trips me out right now, you guys, is the main nations in play to destroy Israel is Iran. That's the main one. The, the Houthis over in Yemen, you know, Hamas over in Gaza, Hezbollah over there in Lebanon, right? These are all just puppets of Iran. Who, you know, uh, the Obama administration, now the Biden administration has played footsies with, you know, allocated billions of dollars to them. They've built their war machine on other money. Some of that's been suspended. Some of then it's given up back and forth. And and because Obama wanted a regional power in the Middle East besides Israel. Why? Hmm. Well, uh, the fact that he told the New York Times that his favorite sound in the morning was the Muslim call to prayer might be a little bit of a clue. Okay? And that I heard an interview with his brother with Israeli army and said, of course, oh, oh, uh, my brother Obama, he's talking about, is a Muslim. Okay? Are you saying he's a Muslim for sure, Joe? I don't know. I don't think he's a Muslim. I think he has an affinity toward Islam. And I think he's an opportunist. And I think he's been used by the evil one, and he's very anti-Israel. Okay? And right now, a lot of the foreign policymakers under Obama are in the State Department, are in Biden's cabinet. Right now, you're like, well, wait, Biden's actually standing with Israel right now, and praise God to the degree that he is, right? But have you heard Jean, you know, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, some of the stuff that she said? Uh, there's not all peace and roses there. They don't want to lose all of their base. They'd be destroyed in election. If they, if they turn their back on our only real ally in the Middle East, which is Israel of the United States. But what's interesting, guys, check this out now. We, we know that last beast, it's not described, right? In Daniel, right? It says it's, it's just different. But guess what? Daniel's sealed. We get to the book of Revelation. The book is what? Revelation's unsealed, amen? So let's go to Revelation 13, the first couple verses, and see what that beast looks like. Because it tells us the final beast, what it looks like. And the dragon, by the way, the dragon in Revelation 12, it says the dragon is Satan, the serpent of old. Revelation 12, 9 through uh, 11 or so. And the dragon, that Satan, stood on the sea, or on the, on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The sea, by the, re by the way, in Revelation chapter 17, represents peoples and nations and tongues. So you, this beast comes out of the peoples and the nations and the tongues. So it's more than one nation. Then what do we see? Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having what? How many horns? Ten horns. Ten horns. There it is, you guys. It's that final beast. Ten horns. 
and what? Seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems. There's different Greek words for crown. Stephanos is a victor's crown. Diadem is the kingly crowns. So seven uh, kingly crowns. And on his heads were blasphemous names. By the way, isn't that interesting? There's blasphemous names on this beast, right? And they blaspheme the God of Israel, okay? And the false Messiah, which they claim is, is Jesus, which they claim is their Messiah, or not their Messiah, their, their coming uh, prophet, you know, uh, they, they, it's not the Jesus of the Bible, though. He has no, God has, Allah has no son. They said he'll destroy the cross when he comes. And the Antichrist will blaspheme the God of heaven. Well, right here it says there's blasphemous names on them. And the beast which I saw was like a what? Ooh, a leopard. Like the Syrian and Grecian empire. Oh, so, and what else? And his feet were like those of a what? A bear. There's the Persian empire. That's who. Persia is now, today who? No, per Iran, amen. Iran. A lot of you said Iran. It's easy to get mixed up on the two. And, and the mouth was given a mouth, the mouth of a lion. Oh, who's the lion? Modern day what? Modern day Iraq. You have Syria Grecian Empire there, which was localized in Syria. You have the Iranian Empire or Iran there. And you have Iraq there. Guess of all the Muslim nations who are united the most Iran and Syria. Isn't that interesting? And guess what? We left a vacuum in Iraq, right? Guess who is heavily in Iraq right now and firing on our military guys there? Iran. You have Iran and Iraq. That's where a lot of the attacks have happened on our U.S. because of our stand with Israel has happened in Iraq because there's a vacuum there. And then you have Syria. I just think it's very, very interesting. And guess who's far to the north of all these guys? who's one of the greatest world powers in all history, is, is uh, Russia. Guess who has a lot of weaponry in Syria? Russia. Guess who's backing Iran? Russia. Guess who's uh, hanging out with Hamas besides Russia? China. Okay. Guess who sent ships to Israel? I don't think they got there. I think they finally stopped because I didn't hear anything of it since. They sent like five ships when we entered in to, our, our, we sent a bunch of our ships there. China. Okay. China and Russia, by the way, are doing military operations to fight against the U.S., okay? The operations they've never had before. Uh, it's just really interesting how everything is shaping up. But I think it's fascinating when you look at Iran, right, who has these puppets, is, is, is pulling the puppet strings. Remember when Daniel was going through this, guys, and he was going through hardships, the angel Gabriel was trying to get to him but he was having war with a different spirit entity in the heavenly realms. And who was he fighting against? The prince of who? Prince of Persia. That would be the prince of Iran, a demonic principality. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rule of the darkness of the world, spiritual weakness, high places. Those entities, I believe, those demonic entities, entities used Muhammad and inspired Islam to create a monolithic type of faith as much as possible to come against the one true God. Christianity was advancing. Radically, all kinds of pagans were coming away from idolatry, realizing worshiping thousands of gods is stupid. They started coming to Christ. Guess what? Satan's like, man, I have to change things up here. Boom, I'll use this guy, Muhammad. I'll create a monolithic religion with just one God, but I'll make sure so it looks like Christianity, and I'll even bring in Christian scriptures to a degree, and I'll bring in Jewish scriptures. I'll try to bring them all up, but I'll just deny the Son of God through that and keep them from Christ. And I'll create a war manual, which is basically what the Quran is. It's a war manual against Jews and Christians. And it calls for their ultimate destruction. So whoever does not submit to Islam is destroyed in the end. By Muslims. In the last Mahdi, the Muslim Messiah and his sidekick, a religious leader called Isa, which is not the Jesus of the Bible. They claim it's the Jesus of the Bible, but he's not called the Son of God. In fact, they reject Jesus as the Son of God. And so if you go to the Temple Mount right now, and where the Antichrist is going to sit eventually in the Temple of God, claim to be God, and he will deny, he'll blaspheme God, it says. The Bible says, who is an antichrist but the one who denies who? The father and the son. Allah says he's not a father. And on the Al-Aqsa Mosque, in the Dome of the Rock, on the Temple Mount, over and over again in Arabic, it says, Allah is God and he has no son. And Muhammad is his prophet. That's a declaration of war by the antichrist spirit. Did I go too fast? Are we Okay. 
That's a bad question because only the people that think I didn't go too fast say, oh, yeah, I didn't go too fast. I don't really ever know, you know. But no, I don't have another hour. <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I did. That's kind of you, though, brother. Uh, so it's interesting because uh, they're calling. I mean, here's an AP report, uh, just Associated Press, which is pretty liberal, actually, on Iran's, Iran's call to destroy Israel, to just be done with Israel. Let's watch this. Again, in Israel and the United States, Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad repeated inflammatory comments that he made three years ago, saying Israel would soon disappear. Ahmadinejad first made the remarks in 2005, fueling international outrage and speculation that he was threatening the Jewish state with a nuclear weapon. But while speaking at a ceremony honoring the late founder of Iran's Islamic Republic, Ahmadinejad told an audience that, quote, this origin of corruption will soon be wiped off the Earth's face. Sound familiar? That's a few years back. I went all the way back to 1967 when Iranian leaders and, and Egyptian leaders were calling for the utter destruction of Israel. Then you fast forward into, you know, from that standpoint to, uh, you, know, uh, is, you know, Muslim leaders and uh, and you see the same thing. And then today you're seeing Hamas. In fact, what are they saying? What do you see over and over and over again? And last week, not two weeks ago, not last week, two weeks ago, remember I was showing the cahoots that Husseini, the leader, the grand mufti of Jerusalem right before Israel became a nation, and he was in cahoots with Hitler, right? And I showed you him visiting with Hitler, and I showed you that 20,000 Muslims became part of the SS to eradicate the Jews, right? So it's a history here that's demonic. And a lot of people are sympathizing with Hitler now in our country. A lot of the, the pro-Palestinian people are sympathizing with Hitler, drawing swastikas and so forth and saying gas the Jews and, and so forth. In fact, let's look at uh, some of these. And you've seen this if you've been watching the news. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You see that all over the place. Let's, there it is again. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, next slide. This is in the United States, a lot of this. For the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Next slide. I don't know if we have another slide. Okay. Okay, so what's interesting about this, though, is, well, do you have a, I think what's coming up, if I remember right, is a, uh, is, a, is a slide of Israel. Yeah, let's do that. Let's look at that Israeli slide. That's where I wanted to go next, because it fits in with that. So right here, you see Israel is in the brighter green. Uh, you see those yellow spots in Israel? That's Gaza, bottom left, right by the Mediterranean Sea. You see the West Bank, that's part of, you know, next to Jerusalem there, part of Jerusalem. You see up above Golan Heights, see those yellow patches in the green? Those are the areas in 67 that were taken over by Israel because the 67 were. They would try to destroy Israel again, so they took over those areas. But when they say from the river to the sea, do you see that river separating Syria and Jordan, the countries of Jordan? See that river right down the middle? The left is Israel. So when they say they're from the river to the sea, they're talking about from the Jordan River, right there. See the Jordan River? Up and down Israel, north to south. And then there's the sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. So they're saying from the river to the sea, basically they're saying we are going to take this area from the Jews. And it's a call for many Muslims. It's a call to genocide to eradicate the Jews. Now, when I showed you that picture with little tiny Israel as a red dot amongst the Muslim nations, do you know there's all kinds of Muslim nations? You know that, right? And Israel's not calling for the end of the Muslim nations. They just want to exist as a people. The Muslims can go anywhere. Those, that's vast amounts of land, isn't it? But they wanted, many of them want to destroy Israel. But Israel's fine with Arabs living in their country but just not with the Hamas charter being fulfilled in their eradication. Did you know, could you, do you think you could be a Jewish man and you could be in the leadership of Hamas and, and, and voted in? But You think that they'd, they'd vote Jews in the leadership there? Do you know, guess what? Do you know there's Palestinians that are part of the Knesset, which is Israel's, like, it's like our Senate? Palestinians have voted in. They let them, they, that happens. It's a democracy there. Isn't that crazy? Far different. And that we've said for years, a, a, a former Israeli officer had told me, he said, Joe, and I, was, I spent some good time with him up there in one of my trips. He goes, Joe, and I've heard this since. He goes, Joe, if we lifted, if, if the nations around us lift up their borders, that separate us from them, they'd be fine. 
But if Israel lifted up our borders, our defenses, we'd be destroyed overnight. That says a lot about who's doing what. I mean, who sends fires saying, evacuate this area to the, to the civilians? That's what Israel does. Most people don't do that. Do you know during World War II, we bombed Dresden? Dresden was a huge populace of, you know, of civilians. We bombed them in Germany, killed a bunch of them. You know Nagasaki and Hiroshima were basically civilians being killed because we were at war with Japan and Germany who wanted to rule the world. Now what's interesting, do you know a lot of the United States did not belong to the people that now mostly occupy it? If you're saying, oh, well, you know what? You know, there were Arabs there for a while. I know Israel had it first, but Arabs, you know, were there after that. Let's give it back. Well, you're going to move out of your house? You know, you don't, how many people give back lands that they take over? But there's far more to it than that, you guys. There's huh, the fact that God mandated 4,000 years ago in his promise to Abraham that this is my land. This is my land, and I can put there who I want to put there. And he's obviously doing exactly what he said he would do. And we're seeing the reactions that we're told that we would, we would see as well. Amen? Now, it's interesting. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the spokesperson, the, main, the secretary press woman for, you know, Biden. She says she, they brought up to her anti-Semitism that's erupting throughout the nation. She's like... I don't see anything. <laughs> well, not quite like that. Let's see what she said. Level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel. So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so... Uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab Arab-Americans and Palestinian-American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team, uh, uh, Homeland Security team, to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish, the Muslim, uh, Arab-Americans, or, or any other communities. Well, it's interesting. Not long, sometime after that, she had to walk that back and say that, you know, uh, that's not what she was trying to say. I think she made it pretty clear what she was trying to say. We got the lights back on. It would be great. In fact, I went to FBI.gov, guys, uh, a couple weeks ago, and their website, and the day I looked at it, the report was from October 16th, 2023. Pretty recent. The FBI released their update on hate crimes, and it stated that the, quote, the highest, the highest, quote, unquote, volume of reported hate crimes incidents against people for religious bias, quote, is anti-Jewish for religious bias, quote, end quote, okay? The New York Times, okay, October 16, 2023. Hate crimes data released today by the Federal Bureau of Investigation shows that reported hate crime incidents in 2022, that's 2022, long before this stuff went down, guys, uh, rose to 11,634 incidents, the highest number ever recorded since the FBI started tracking such data in 1991. So don't follow the narrative. Oh, by the way, free Palestine from, you know, the river to the sea. They're calling for genocide, many of them. Wipe them out as a people. And, but Palestinians, a lot of these, these young people that are on the streets, they don't know. They're getting their information from China, from TikTok. T China runs TikTok, right? So you're getting all these little blips that come up. They just see all these little blips and they, oh, they run to the streets, you know, and they don't have a clue of world history. They don't understand what's going on there. And they're all protesting. And, oh, Israel's committing genocide against, against the Palestinians. You guys, think about this. And I'm not, I'm not exonerating every move that Israel makes. I'm not one of those guys that said anything Israel does is good and right, okay? They need Jesus, amen? But when you look at who would have the moral high ground in this war, it's pretty obvious, okay? But what's crazy about this, uh, when you think about it, is they're crying out, you know, about genocide. Do you want to just look at the UN's uh, population of, of, of what's going on in Gaza? Their population every year is growing exponentially, not Israel's. So if there's genocide going on, how is their population growing so rapidly? 
doesn't make any sense. And it's not, the genocide isn't going on, okay? If there's some Israeli soldiers that go wacko and do some things, okay, I'm not saying that's not going to happen. Well, if Israel makes some kind of very mistake, then I'll say, hey, that was, that was wrong, okay? But uh, we're not looking at that right now. But this is a crazy thing, guys, and what you and I need to be aware of. In the book of Joel, God says himself that when he returns, he will judge the nations. This is in Joel chapter 3. Sorry, Joel chapter 3, the first few verses. And it's in the context of the day of the Lord when he returns. He will judge the nations for dividing up my land. Okay? That's what he says. And in Zechariah chapter 12, God says, I'm going to make Israel a pot of trembling for all the nations around her. And whoever seeks to move her will be herniated, will be ruptured. The Hebrew word means ruptured. You mess with my people, God is going to mess with you. And then he talks about in chapter 12 and then chapter 14 that all the nations of the world will surround Israel. Right? And then the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And the Lord says that he will stand on the Mount of Olives. Who's standing on the Mount of Olives? That's going to be Jesus. Amen? And the nations will fire their weapons at each other in confusion. And while they're standing up, their eyes and their tongues will be consumed out of their, their eyes out of their sockets, their tongues out of their mouths. By the way, that couldn't happen way back then. There was no thermonuclear war back then, amen? There's no way you could just have everybody's eyes and tongues be dissolved. But that's going to happen. And he's coming back with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So it could be that fire. His enemies are just being dissolved while they stand. That's crazy what's going to happen. You want to be on the right side of history. You want to be on the side of Jesus. Jesus said, he that's not with me is what? Against me. Amen. And later in Revelation, we don't have time to get into it because I had to skip that. In Revelation 17, it says 10 nations, 10 kings will give their power to the beast and they will have power with him for one hour. And in verses 11 through 14 of chapter 17, it says these nations that gave their power to the Antichrist and the Antichrist and the false prophet, Revelation 19, they will assemble to make war against him that sits on the, the white horse, Christ. And Christ will come with his armies. And with him will be the faithful, the called, the chosen and the faithful. Those who are called, those who respond to the called are the chosen. Those who remain faithful to Christ to the end remain the chosen, amen? Christ comes back with them and the beast will be taken, it says, and with him the false prophet and they'll be thrown alive in the lake of fire, amen? And all their armies will be destroyed. God wins in the end. Christ wins in the end. But you know what's heavy in Zechariah chapter 12 when it says, in the Old Testament, when the Lord returns to save Israel, it says his own people will see the one they've what? The one that they pierced. That's in the Old Testament. Show that to a Jewish person right now. Say, hey, look, God's going to come back and save you, and you're going to see the one you pierced. It's Christ. Because Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kings of the earth shall mourn or wail because of him. Even so, amen. You want to make sure you know Jesus. Because the Bible says every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. To the glory of God the Father. And it says in heaven, or in hell, or on the earth. Everyone here is going to confess Jesus for eternity. The question is, where are you going to be, with him or in hell? Confess him now. If you confess him now as your Lord and Savior, then you can confess him forever in his presence. Amen. If you reject him now, Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. You'll be, against, you'll be separated from him in hell forever and ever. So you need to choose Jesus. He was pierced for you. We're going to please stand. We're going to pass out the cup and the bread, which represents what he went through for you.